Today's scripture reading is taken from Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 to 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Y él los tomó de las manos de ellos, y dio forma con buril, y hizo de ello un becerro de fundición. Entonces dijeron, Israel, estos son tus dioses, que te sacaron de la tierra de Egipto. Alright. Welcome to our City Church. My name is Stephen, one of the pastors here. I have the privilege to share God's word with you. Uh, we are going through a series called The Heroes. And um, just to tell you uh, the answer, uh, the characters that we're going to look at, they're not the heroes. They all point to the ultimate hero, which is Jesus Christ. And so we're looking now in the uh, Exodus. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at Moses. And um, so we just saw how Moses became that leader, the person that we know him to be. And ultimately, we saw how he was not perfect, but he pointed to Jesus being the ultimate leader. Now, we're at chapter 32. Again, we're doing huge jumps because these are uh, certain parts of the story that we want to focus on. And today, Exodus 32 is a very important section where it is where Moses goes to Mount Sinai. And we find uh, Israelites no longer wandering, but they're settled at the camp. And let's see what is going on here. The title of this message is called The Cure for Our Mess. And let's see what that is all about. Before we do that, let me tell you the story. Um, Malcolm Gladwell, some of you may uh, have read his books, Talking to Strangers, Blinks, Outliers, Tipping Points, among many, many other books that he has written. He recently, oh, actually, he has a podcast called Revisionist History. And recently, my wife turned me on to that, and I've been listening to um, that podcast, a lot of fascinating stories. And, and recently, I heard the story... Uh, uh, in 2009, about Mr. Mark Seller. Now, um, you know, he, he had a car, a Lexus, that was old, so, of course, he buys a new one. You know, it's a nice little Lexus. This was back in 2009, and, uh, and, and you know, he's taking his family uh, to a drive. In fact, one of his, his daughter was going to a soccer practice, so his daughter was in the car, the, the, the wife and brother-in-law, and they were approaching Highway 125 northbound, in California, and all of a sudden, as he's driving down the highway, um, the accelerator seemed to get stuck, and, 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 uh, and he couldn't slow down. So, of course, what do you do in that situation? I hope you never had that experience, but you start to panic. When you start to panic, uh, he didn't know how to stop the vehicle. So, uh, eventually, they call 911, someone in the back seat, and just screaming out, we're, we're in big trouble. And, uh, and to make the, a very long story short, uh, somehow goes into intersection. He couldn't stop. And everyone 
in the car died. It was very tragic. And then after that, I don't know if you remember, I remember this. They did have a national recall, I think out of Toyota too at that time. And uh, it, was, it was scary, you know. You know, our, like, like, like the accelerators, they get stuck. And, and, you know, it sounds like demon has possessed your car. And it's just, it's frightful. And, and so Toyota uh, was in big trouble. And there was a huge backlash and reaction against Toyota. I don't know if you remember that. And so, so what happened was they're trying to, of course, find the problem. And after you find the problem, you have to find the cure, right? And so as they discovered what happened, why is, is there a defect, so they blamed it on all of all these kinds of things. Uh, one thing that Mark Seller did was when he bought his car, he also bought uh, all-weather floor mats, and there were these big, thick, cushiony ones. And so, and so uh, they realized that that cushion had a factor, and it kind of got stuck in the accelerator, and uh, maybe that was a big factor. Or maybe, maybe you know, Lexus is a, is a luxury car, and there's a lot of code, and maybe there was a bug in the system, and then it didn't uh, react appropriately. Or maybe it was just simply the engine or the fault of the engine. And so they had all these ideas to figure out what the problem uh, was. But regardless, they had to find a cure or a solution, and they uh, had to blame Toyota, and they shamed Toyota, it was, and they slapped huge million and million dollar fines on that company, and there were recalls. Maybe you had a Toyota at that time. It was probably recalled, and um, there were also class, uh, you know, action suits against them. So that's the cure, and the problem is solved, right? But then, of course, if you know Malcolm Gladwell, he always asks a little bit more. It was that that simple. Is, is that it? Are you comfortable with that? And what he found out was that Car and Driver, which is a magazine, but they're, they're like car geeks. What they did was, at, right after that accident happened, they decided to do extensive research, and they actually uh, try to uh, reenact that accident. So they go to this field, and they get uh, different types of Toyotas. They even got an old 2003 Toyota. And what they did was they floored that thing uh, as, far, you know, as uh, fast as it could go, and while they had their foot on the accelerator, he slammed on the brakes, and lo and behold, you know what happened? The car stopped. <laughs> and so they did this over and over again. This little hunk of junk went up to actually 100 miles an hour, which took a very long time to get there, and slammed on the brake, and guess what happened to that car? It stopped. <laughs> so, so it's like, okay, so they had a lot of different scenarios, and, and this is... There, of course, you know, we don't exactly know what happened, but this is the probable scenario that they came up with, that Mark Seller, he was driving a new car that he wasn't really familiar with, you know, the gas and the, and the uh, uh, brake, you know, you're not really familiar with how that goes. And so what had happened was he was uh, going on Highway 125 on cruise control, and as he was going, of course, when you're on cruise control, there's always slow cars in front of you, so he veered to the side, and then he kind of accelerated with his foot a little bit more. And what happened was, you know, when you're on cruise control, you're, both of your feet are on the, on the floor mat. But I think when he moved his feet, they said, the uh, uh, floor mat must have moved, and it kind of got stuck or rigid a little bit. And, and when Mark Seller thought that the car should be slowing down, going back to uh, original speed, it kept going. 
And then, of course, he's like, oh, no, what's going on? He got kind of nervous because his family's in the car. And so what he did was he started to slow down a little bit and press his foot on the brake. But what happened was the car started going faster. And now he's really freaking out. And now he's flooring that brake all the way down. And he kept going faster and faster. What he was doing that he didn't realize was he made a huge mistake because in the midst of confusion, panic, Thinking that he was uh, pressing the brake, he was pressing the accelerator. And, and, and tragically, um, it doesn't end well. So what was the conclusion uh, uh, through this story? It wasn't mechanical. It was a human error. This accident, this inadvertent accident, this, this unconscious thing that, that Marcel was doing, uh, uh, instinctively, almost primal, to stop this vehicle, uh, uh, it wasn't, he wasn't putting on the brakes, and he didn't realize it. And in fact, after they examined all the other hundreds of cases who seem to have these similar incidences, uh, I understand there's a black box in every car, just like an airplane when it crashes, they always look for that black box, right? And when they discovered those black boxes in the car, they showed that in all cases, get this, the brakes all were never touched. You know, after the accident and the investigation, to this day, I actually looked it up myself, that the official word of, of this, this runaway, accelerated thing was never attributed to human error, even to this day. So they have all new safety standards and protocols now in place, so in case your car gets demonically uh, attached, you know, you, you'll know what to do, you know, take your foot off the brake and, and all this kind of stuff. But that is an amazing story to me. And the reason why I tell you this, because as I think about the story of Moses, uh, 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 it really applies, and this is what I'm talking about. So we're at this point in the story of Moses. He has led people out of Israel. I'm sorry, (laughs) Egypt. Took Israel out of Egypt due to this exodus. And I'm skipping over that fantastic story. And uh, now Israel is freed from the bondages as slaves for 400 years, and now their journey is to go to the mountaintop, which is Mount Sinai, so they can worship God. That is the plan. And in Exodus chapter 32, they get to the mountain. But time and time again, what we find is that uh, Israel in the wilderness, they they kept running into problem after problems. And in in a sense, those problems turned into a whole bunch of mess. So what was the cure? How did they solve the mess that they're in? You know, just like the runaway car, the people involved in the story all try to find a cure for their mess. And they looked everywhere. They blamed everyone except for themselves. (laughs) It was always a human error. Same thing for the Israelites. And and when you do that, friends... It's, it's, it will prove to be disastrous, just like that car. So what, here's what I'll do. I, I want to show you three things, all right? I want to show you that Israel, the people of God, try to find a cure, all right? And, and I'll share, so, show, show how they try to find a cure for the mess. And then I'll show you Aaron, how he did it. And even Moses came into this picture and tried to uh, find a mess for, their, for the situation as well, all right? So in all three, I'm going to show you their solution and why it falls short. And yes, even Moses. So first, let's look at Israel, all right? 
Israel is trying to find a solution to their problem, a cure for their mess, all right? So let's back up a little bit. Listen, Israel leaving Egypt was exciting. <laughs> I mean, if you've been enslaved for all your life, freedom is so beautiful. Oh, it's so awesome, right? So this new vision that God is giving Moses to Israelites, it was very exciting. And, and not only that, Moses was able to pull off a miracle, not just to leave Egypt without force, without protest, without guns or, well, they didn't have guns back then, but you know what I mean. There was no, no one died. They just left. But not only that, they left with a lot more stuff than they ever brought to Egypt. I mean, they robbed Egypt with everything. Only God could do that because God showed up in that. So, so Israel is excited. There's, you know, maybe one or two million people coming out of Egypt. Then they're going to the wilderness, a miraculous Red Sea. So here it is. Now they've been journeying for three months. All right, three months hanging around trying to get to Mount Sinai. Um, as they were journeying, as they were walking, what you find is that Israelites and everyone in the camp had a change of heart because the wilderness is never what you expect. It is not what you had in mind. Dude, you're thinking promised land, land of milk, you know, uh, flowing with milk and honey, you know, chilling, and, and yeah, it's great life. But the wilderness is totally opposite, not what they had in mind. Listen, they ran out of water, food. They even went to war. And, and finally, they get to Mount uh, Sinai in Exodus 32. And Moses, their esteemed leader, is MIA. They don't know what he's doing. And so the camp started getting restless. So the people of God, Israelites, are there. They need to find a solution. They need to find a cure for the mess that they are in. So Israel decided to take the matter into their own hands. You know what they decided? Let's go back to Egypt. <laughs> Let me read this. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, Aaron, up. <laughs> All right? Not Aaron Re. Where is he? <laughs> no, not you. Aaron, the other Aaron, up. <laughs> um, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. He's probably dead for all I know for one month, MIA. Now, the Israelites, the people, they found a solution or a cure, cure, <laughs> cure to the mess that they're in, all right? And, you know, I, instead of being too hard on them, you know, I get it. I mean, it's like, you, have, you know, you're going with a new group, a new vision, and it's not what you expect. You signed up to work for this company, and you signed up for this and that, and it falls short, right? So, so we get it. I mean, it's, it's okay to be disgruntled and murmur and grump, grumbling because that's what we do, especially if your expectation is not being met. So, so we get it. But here is the problem here. The decision that uh, Israel made to go back to Egypt is quite remarkable, especially when Israelites were running into problem after problem after problem because their issues were always resolved. 
there was always a cure to their mess at every situation. For instance, in Exodus 15, if you just go back a little bit, check this out. It was after the grand Red Sea partying, Exodus miracle, you know, that, that, the movie that we all know. Just three days out of Exodus, they, went, they were in the wilderness, and guess what? They ran out of water. And they go to this place called Mara, and they're like, oh, water, and they're drinking it up, and they have to spit it out because it's nasty, it's bitter. So what do they do? They complain. But here it is. How did they solve that mess? But the Lord, God showed up. God brought them to 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, which is an oasis. And guess what? They had the most delicious water, right? In Exodus 16, they continue, and they get deeper into the wilderness, and this place called the wilderness of sin, and how appropriate is that name? And as they get into this particular wilderness of sin, they run out of food this time. All the, all the food that they brought from Egypt is gone. And then they start to say, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? We'd rather die in Egypt, right? At least we would have meat to eat, ooh, <laughs> and bread, you know, leeks, onions. Oh, God, they're just lusting after food. At least we could, well, die with our tummies full, right? So how did they get, the, how did that mess become, uh, uh, how did the cure come there? But God, you find that God brought quail to the, to the Israelites, and they ate their full. And then... There's this thing called manna, literally translated, what is it? And this, what is it? Don't, tell, don't ask me what it is because it is what it is, right? What is it came up? And they grabbed and they ate bread from heaven. In Exodus 17, they continue in the wilderness, and they camp at a place called Rephidim. No more water. Again, complaining, ah, what are you doing to us? They grumbled. Why did you bring us out here of Egypt? You know, Moses would have gone to Egypt and died there, et cetera, et cetera. What is the cure? But God. What did God do? He says, Moses, here's the rock at Horeb. Strike that rock. And you know what happened? Gushes of water just came out, and their thirsts were quenched. Exodus 17, there was war against the Malachites. These Israelites who never been in war before, they won because God allowed them to win. Moses had to put his hands like this. See, you see, the, here's the whole point. Almost at, at, at all their junctures where, where they were going to, um, the mess that they were in, despite how messy or desperate it became, God provided the cure of all the situations that they faced. Now it's four months in because three months to get to the Sinai, and now Moses is up in the mouth for one more month. So for four months, they're hanging around, and now they're starting to have doubts. Doubts about the vision of the promised land, doubts about their Moses, uh, the leader Moses, and even doubting God. And their doubts became murmurs, murmurs became complaints, which turned to problems, which turned into this tangled and emotional mess. All right? So where's the solution? Where's the solution? And the Israelites make a solution. 
and they offer one up. Let me tell you something. This story in Exodus 32 tells us more than what just happened. I just kind of quickly showed you what happened, but this Exodus 32 actually tells us what happens. And what I mean by this, in other words, this story, particularly here in Exodus chapter 32, exposes the anatomy of our own idolatry. In other words, when we're under stress, when our lives are a mess, and there's pressure just mounting on every side, all right, uh, we act like this. We don't think about God. Yes, God did some wonderful things in the past, but, but we don't even go there just like the Israelites. We don't let God solve our mess. And he's the only one, actually, who can apply the brakes in the runaway life that you're in right now. He's the only one, by the way, that can solve this just like that. But instead, what Exodus 32 shows us is that instead we take the matter into our own hands, and what we do in our life is we accelerate this, this life like this car and thinking that we found the cure, that we're going to slow it down. But inadvertently what we're doing is we're speeding up. And you know what happens? Disaster is going to come. That is the same as saying, let's go back to Egypt. In other words, the decisions that Israelites are making, the decisions that you and I tend to make, are human errors. There's nothing wrong with God. There's nothing wrong with your circumstances. There's nothing wrong with uh, the mess that you're in. God is in control. He's sovereign, and he's going to work that out, but we forget that, so we leave God out. Listen, when you're under stress, you're freaking out, and, and you know, there's uncertainty in your future. What do you do? We do exactly what the Israelites do. We don't go to God. We revert back to our past ways and how we used to deal with issues. Whether you're a Christian or not, you know, we have issues. They always come back because we never let God in. You know, I've dealt with so many people, you know, uh, who want to uh, get their lives changed. They want a better spiritual life. They want to have a healthier lifestyle. They want to get along with uh, others, they want to be faithful and mature believer, and those are really good things. And so we get together, we spend a lot of time, we share the plan, and I give them spiritual homework, and uh, we try to, try to make this happen so that you will really change to become the person of God that ca- God calls you to be. And so what happens, unfortunately, is that usually, you know, we check up on each other and we're doing well. But there are usually moments where those people go silent. They go MIA. Uh, They're no longer in the conversation. They don't do social media anymore. And and the most obvious thing, something's wrong, is that they don't come to church anymore. You know what I mean? And so I discover, uh, I talk to them, reach out again. I find out what happened. You know the story. Go back to your old habits. Because you have found your own cure for your own mess. Overeating, perhaps, maybe junk food, binge on, maybe drink a little too much alcohol or cloister into your home, your room or apartment and just binge on Netflix for the night, right? Maybe you're consuming way too much pornography or spend on stuff you don't need or you overwork, you oversleep, you name it. All the things that we tend to do without God trying to find our own mess, guess what it is? It's like going back to Egypt, Thinking you're slamming on the brakes to slow things down, to to solve your mess. You know what you're doing? You're accelerating 
a disaster that's impending, right? So in other words, you use everything while you're in this situation. You blame God. You blame your mom and dad. You blame the government. You blame Trump, right? You blame everything except yourself. You see, the whole point is this is a human error. It's not the machine. It's not your situation. It's not life. It is us, and we forget that. So Israel's cure for the mess proves only one thing, guys, that it is more difficult to get Egypt out of the Israelites than it is to get the Israelites out of Egypt. You get that? In other words, the first sign of trouble, God's people, you know God, you know the amazing things he's done in your life, all the answered prayers, miracles that he has doted upon you, you forget that when there's a mess because we want to do it our own way the things that we think will help us. Well, that's Israelites' decision, and their cure for their mess was horrible. Let's move on. Second one, let's look at Aaron, all right? Aaron should be better because he's a leader. He's number two leader of the Israelites behind Moses, Moses' brother. But, but, but check this out. Aaron also provides a, a cure also to the mess that he's in. Again, Exodus 32, they're, they're at Mount Sinai, a lot of pressure. Aaron didn't even ask for leadership. He was thrusted into this leadership for the first time in his life. He never was a leader. This was a new experience for him. He didn't know what to do. Just like Mark Seller, he didn't know where the brakes and the, and the, and the pedal, you know, how, how far they were. It was a new thing. And there was a void, and people forced Aaron to lead them in Moses' absence. Um, and they gathered around and said, you know, verse 1, we read this. He says, come, Aaron, come. Make us gods who's going to go before us. In parenthesis, take us back to Egypt. Let this God and you take us back to Egypt. So you're Aaron, first time in leadership. You know, you know the situation is tense. What are you going to do? What is your solution? Now, if Aaron were thinking correctly, if he wasn't freaking out, if he didn't have pressure on him, and if people weren't just grabbing onto him and forcing him to do something, he would have thought carefully with patience. He would have sought the face of God because he also experienced everything that the Israelites uh, experienced. And he would have sought God to cure the demands of this pressure. And then it would have been simple. We wouldn't have the golden calf incident. Instead, what we find is that because the situation was bad, but we went from bad to worse, and if we went from worse to a mess, the congregation came together and they demanded a vote. Oh gosh, congregational meetings. <laughs> They're good meetings. But, you know, I'm all about congregational church. We're a congregational church. But sometimes the ugly side of congregational church is that it could become a mob. And this is exactly what you see. So what did Aaron do? He gave in. He capitulated to the demands of the people. What could he do, you know? So Aaron presented, you know what he did? In verses 2 through 6, we read this. But in summary, what he did was he, he, he describes Verse 2 to 6 describes a plan, his cure, and it's a compromise plan 
to appease his conscience because he knows making a god is wrong. I mean, he knows the law, violation of commandment one and two. He knows that. And yet at the same time, he has to, you know, bow down to the will of the people. So how do you, how do you put that together? So as the committee of one, that is him, he very obediently made a god. And he made a, a golden idol shaped into a young bull. Let me make a little sidebar and ask, why did he choose a golden calf, or in some translation says, a bull made out of gold? Why did he choose that to represent God? And there's two things. One, in the ancient Near East, bovine deities were everywhere, not just in Egypt, but in all the surrounding nations. So it was, it was a thing. And all the gods, there were a lot of bovine deities. Uh, for instance, Hathor, represented by the head of a cow. There was a, a, a god called Isis. It was a queen god. It had horns on her head, right, just like a, a cow or something. And there was a sacred bull, Ra, and he was always covered with gold. So, in other words, it was, there was plenty of examples of that. And Aaron, when he was in Egypt, he remembered that. The second thing is, among all the catalogs of all the bovine deities, he chose the calf. Remember, he's a committee of one. So he chose the calf. Why? Because the calf or the bull was a symbol of strength, of might, of prowess. So it made sense that Aaron chose the golden calf to represent the Lord. Because after he fashioned this, he says, here is the Lord. Here is your God who brought you out of Egypt. So in his mind, he's representing Yahweh, God of Israel, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be uh, likened to as a bull because at least that was the strongest representation of him. Um, Aaron's cure was a mess. <laughs> Not just a cure for a mess, it was messy. And when, when Aaron makes decisions like this, it's exactly what Mark Sellers inadvertently did and the consumer protection advocates were saying, and, and, and even politicians got involved in 2009, and they were making laws, you know, and safety inspectors, and the public, they were all in this, and you know what they all said in one voice? It's the vehicle's fault. You know, like Aaron, you know, uh, maybe it was the weather, the old, uh, you know, floor mat weather's fault. Never the driver, though. Never the driver. Aaron did the same thing. He concluded, the people made me do it. Listen to his own voice, chapter 32, verse 22. And then when Moses, you know, finally confronted him, came down from the mountain, here's Aaron. Do not be angry, my Lord, talking to Moses, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. There it is. Not my fault, <laughs> Right? They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That's true. They did say that. So, you know, he's not lying. And so he continues. So I told him, whoever has any gold, jewelry, take off. And they, they did. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire. And boom, out came this calf. A big lie. <laughs> so this is what happens when you, when you have your own solution. You fudge the truth a bit, you say the truth, but then you might have to lie. Aaron thought he was saving Israel, his solution, his cure for the mess, by slowing them down 
in this crisis and this pressure-cooked situation. He thought he was doing everyone a favor. But in actuality, because he wasn't looking at God, because he looked upon his own self and found out his own solution, a compromise solution, what he was actually doing was accelerating instead of breaking. And if you start to accelerate thinking that you're slowing down, there's going to be casualties. And in, right here, it's the form of God's judgment and wrath and anger. Okay, uh, third point, Moses Finally, we have somebody. Finally, there's Moses. Thank God, right? Okay, here's the situation. Having been alerted, because he was on the mountain for about a year, uh, not a year, a month, he's hanging out with God. Can you imagine hanging out with God, conversation, God's personally writing the Ten Commandments with his fingers, it says. Oh, gosh, if it could just be a fly on the wall, right? But he's alerted. God says, Moses, we've got to stop this because you've got to go down. There's a crash about to happen. There's a mess down there. So Moses goes down, and he sees the mess himself. And what does Moses do? He provides a cure also for this mess. Let's see what that is. In verse 30, the next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, not just like you messed up, but a great sin. And that is equal to death, right? And then Moses continues, and now I will go to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. That's his cure. It's amazing. He's like, you know, uh, perhaps God could do this, and I'll, and, I'll, and, I'll, um, and I'll find a way to atone for your sins. So Moses returned to the Lord. Now he goes back to the mountain. Now he has conversations with God. And he says, alas, the people have sinned a great sin, reiterating the whole mess. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, and here is Moses' solution to the Father, to God, please blot me out of your book that you have written. That's Moses' cure for the mess that his people are in. I, I tell you, if there's anyone that is worthy or can do something like that or dare to volunteer to sacrifice someone for others, it, it has to be Moses. I mean, he is like a friend of God. He is closest to God. I mean, he is holier on a human level than all of you combined times a million. You know what I mean? So God listens to him. So if there's any human being that would do that, that it seems like a plausible cure for this mess that uh, his people are in. And again, our, 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 let me go back to this. Our series is heroes. We need a hero, right? And Moses, if Moses is not the hero, I don't know who else could be a hero that could ever come close to him. But, 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 but listen to Moses' um, cure. Listen to what he's saying. He says, you know, Father, blot me out instead. That's written in your book. What is he saying? He's saying, Father, let me be the burnt sacrifice so that your wrath will be appeased and that you can show mercy and f- so that you can forgive that great sin that deserves hell and death. So you can 
forgive them. Forgive your people. Let me be that burnt sacrifice. He's also saying, Father, let me, let my name be blotted out of the book of life. In other words, take me out. Send me to hell so that all these people who know not what they're doing, that they don't have to go to hell. That's a tall order, guys. That's what Moses is offering, not only to the Israelites, but to God. And Moses is volunteering this. It's amazing. I, I don't know who would ever do that. That is a heroic act, by the way. We would hail him the hero, and our Jewish friends still do that to this day because this is unbelievable, and he is offering himself. You know, uh, if you look at history, there have been many who offered themselves and sacrifice their life for cause, right? You think about the Buddhist monks for political protests, igniting themselves on fire, perhaps people protesting against war or, or equal rights, civil rights, all the chaos that's going on in our world. A lot of people will do that to get their voices heard. And we look at them and it shocks us. and like, wow, we better start listening. But is God impressed with that? Is God impressed with Moses' offer, his cure for the mess that they're in? And the answer is no. God is not impressed with Moses. God is not impressed with people uh, killing themselves for a cause. But look what God does. Um, Verses 33 and 34. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. So that is justice. He's going to do it because God's a God of just. But verse 34, but now go, lead the people out of the place which I've spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. What I find intriguing is that God flips the script. Like, like, like he actually gently, because God is so loving, he he doesn't say, Moses, you're, what a, you know, get out of here. <laughs> you can't do this. He gently declines his offer. <laughs> so he says, no, don't worry. Just, just go and do that. I'll take care of it. <laughs> Listen, Moses' offer sounds so heroic and amazing, but guess what? To be the burnt sacrifice, which in theology speak is called propitiation, for you to do something so that God's anger of this great sin will be appeased, no one could do that. It's only reserved for one person, that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To, to, to have your names blot out so that, so that uh, you know, others can live, only one person qualifies for that, and that's Jesus Christ. And so, so God flips the script gently. Moses, the most amazing man, offers himself, and, and he falls short. So, so I'm telling you, friends, you look around. <laughs> How are you going to solve your mess? The more you have your solution, it's, it's just not going to work. The more damage you're going to cause to the mess. God is saying, look to him. Look to me. <laughs> look to Jesus Christ. He's the solution. And if we do then he's going to slow things down. All we're going to do is agitate it and accelerate, and our life will be messier. Only Jesus Christ can slow us down. we got to look to him. I don't know what mess you're in. 
I know we're all in some kind of mess. Look to God, please. Look at what he did in the past, what he did through Jesus Christ. He's the, that's the only way you're going to get out, not in our own cleverness. The sinful me- the mess is an easy fix. If the tragedies of this accident that I told you about wasn't so tragic and sad, I would say, man, that was just a dumb accident. I mean, all you had to do is put the brakes on. But when you're in a mess, you can't think. You can't think properly. And so it ends to your death. Friends, it's an easy fix. Jesus does it. We do nothing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that uh, you are patient with us, that despite our situations, you still come to us. Lord, I, I pray that we know you're the solution to everything and the remedy. But God, help your people to understand that and to call out to you, especially when things are bad and good. Would you, would you call us so that we cry out to you, God, rather than find our own solutions? Lord, where our lives are messy. Only you can solve it. Help us to do that even now. In Jesus' name we pray.